the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian. You don't like the hail? No, I, 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 I was just taken aback. That's all. Okay. I, I, is that know, what you said? Hey all? I said hey all. I thought I thought you were like having a seizure. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like my hail. <laughs> well, it's Friday, so anything could happen today. Touche. Anything could happen today. So, uh, <laughs> my name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. We're glad that you're joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, online 1160Hope, Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find us online. Uh, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, it's been a while since I told you a tale from the uh, elevator outside. Can I give you a quick mm. one of what oh, happened to me today? Oh, my goodness. I love tales, tales from, the, from the elevator. That should also be like a drop we create. Yep. Tales <laughs> from the elevator. So I was coming up, and it was just me and another guy. He was going to floor three. I was going to floor four. Yeah. In the short time we're in the elevator together, he began beatboxing. <laughs> True story. He didn't look at me. He didn't smile. He just began beatboxing. Could you give us just like a sampling? I of can't. Like, uh, I don't even just have try. it. I mean, he just was just like, <laughs> like, as he's looking, like when they just turned to each other, we're both standing in an elevator staring. And I was like, that's, that's some, got some guts right there. It's ironic that, that it happened with you, though, because that's kind of what you do. I do. <laughs> Not beatboxing, but like the other day, it was silent for half a second. And you started humming the I Dream of Genie theme song. I was like, okay. Do you know how I know this is true? That you and I have been around each other for a year, and you picked this up a long time ago. Hmm. But I have a really good friend that was in a small group of ours years ago that we've stayed really tight. Uh, and his running joke is that I can't not fill silence right. with music and right. humming and beatboxing and whatever else. So I'm going to psychoanalyze that one of these days. Yeah, so I, uh, silence means I have to listen to my, my own uh, thoughts, and mm-hmm. I don't prefer not to do that. <laughs> That's very telling. But yes, to the guy on the third floor who was beatboxing with just him and I in the <laughs> elevator, well done, my man. Next that time, awesome. I hope we're in the elevator with him. So that when he starts beatboxing, I'll just start freestyling <laughs> and just see if he notices. Oh, you and I will write down like, the guy. It's the guy. <laughs> it's the beatbox guy. I do. You you did something the other day in the elevator. I forget what it was. It makes me laugh every time talking to the person that walked in and the lady looked at you like. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always go over very well. You're like, are you going up or down? And she's like, down. I'm like, good, because when you looked at us, it was with this look of disappointment. <laughs> oh, that's what I said. Because you and I were standing there. They, it really did. That. It opened up and she was just like. <laughs> but I just love it. I just walk in. You're like, because you know I am used to that look of disappointment when people see me at the door. <laughs> I remember her not finding that that funny. 
You're dying. She was like, okay, let's get this over with. <laughs> I love that you do it every day. What is something? And I know. Most times they just look at you like, really? I, I know. I keep doing it, though. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Anyway, Christianity Today, uh, they came out with a new article. It's something that we've discussed on a few occasions. But what I love about this is there's actual data to it. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's this, that uh, churchgoers that were surveyed, uh, the majority of them said they don't know uh, the political leanings of their pastors. Yeah. It says churchgoers are most likely to say they don't know whether their pastor is a Republican or a Democrat, and many preachers believe that's a good thing. So before we get into the data, do you think that's a good thing? Yeah, I do. Why? Uh, I, I agree, by you, the way. You do agree. Okay, I do. Yeah. I do. I think it's uh, it's one of the subtle or not so subtle ways that we can communicate that like no political party is cornered Christianity. Yes. Um I, my guess is actually some of these numbers surprise me a little bit how few would even guess that their pastor leans this way or that right. way. That's actually a good deal lower than I thought it would be based on. And again, especially in an age of social media, like you're being you're given the opportunity to observe or interact with your pastor on a lot more than just the Sunday morning uh, gathering time, which I, I would assume would maybe make it more specific or more clear, yeah. more obvious. But uh, yeah, ultimately, to your question, I think it's a good thing. That's awesome. So a new survey by the Pew Research Center finds that almost uh, half, 45% of people who attend services at least a few times a year, so not a really high bar for attendance here, right. are, right. quote, unsure of their clergy's partisan leanings. Over a quarter, 27% say their clergy are a mix of both parties, while 16% say they lean Republican. Republican and 11% say they lean Democrat. And it goes on to say the job of the pastor is to help churchgoers see that neither party has a corner on true Christianity uh, and neither party is working out the values of Christ's kingdom in its fullness. Uh, said Bill Rydell, pastor of Redemption Hill Church in D.C. Rydell told Christian Today he was pleased to see that almost half of churchgoers do not know their pastor's political leanings. While pastors have a right to their own political leanings, Rydell said, pastors should, like the Apostle Paul in Corinth, be willing to set aside their rights for the sake of the gospel. I wonder what you think, because uh, you and I have both said that that we are, uh, I kind of enjoy this. I, I, yeah. I think this is a good thing. Put yourself in the shoes of the pastor who thinks this is a bad finding. Why do you think they would feel that way? Uh, I think because they would probably elevate um, political discourse or political involvement uh, to the highest aim of what it means to be a Christian in the world. And therefore, if my people, if my community isn't fully clear on who it is I support and why, then I've somehow failed them because then they're not – that means they're likely not – I'm not shepherding them to carry out their civic duty in a manner yes. that I see as the most appropriate. If I if I had to answer yeah. for the person that maybe thinks that's a bad idea, how would you answer that? I think the person would say that politics, especially at this time of our culture, are that important that for that that pastors with a um, a pulpit and pastors with a, a um, voice of influence. Uh, need to be leading hard, whether it's from the pulpit or from social media or whatever. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think, you know, I would say, and it sounds like you say it too, uh, that our role, while while we have a responsibility to help our people navigate what's going on in the right. culture, that that we don't want to raise politics above, yeah. you know, its rightful place. And so, right. this will uh, be continue to be really interesting as this uh, year goes on. Uh, well, I, I I do need to say though, and we've said it before when we've tackled this topic. There's a difference between political and partisan. That's true, right? I I think it's a it's a much easier slam dunk, at least for me, ideologically, to say that I don't think I don't think preachers should be partisan in that regard. I think it is good that it's a little difficult for people to peg down specifically, but 
the I mean the very message of Jesus in part was political and he was involved in the things of the nation at the time which by definition are political in nature so I, I do I do feel like sometimes we conflate good point. the word political to mean partisan um it goes on to say that when politics does come up from the pulpit, a majority of those in pews, 62%, say they agree with their leaders. The political overlap is particularly strong among evangelical Protestants, three-quarters of whom say they agree with their pastor's political opinions. But it goes on to say, Pew found last fall that most Americans, 63%, want churches and other houses of worship to stay out of political matters. And more than three out of four, 76%, say they should not come out in favor of a political candidate. Mm. So again, we're saying on one hand, ah, you shouldn't talk about political matters. And then the other question, and it's meant to sort of see, you know, it's a two-part question, you shouldn't endorse candidates. Yep. I, I absolutely agree that mm-hmm. religious leaders shouldn't be endorsing candidates from the pulpit. But to assume or even imply that the message of Jesus doesn't have some political implications to me feels like a, a misunderstanding. That's a good point. With the minute we have left, do you think that uh, let's let's fast forward. Let's say it's October of 2020. So we're a month out from the election. Yeah. Uh, and you've decided I'll be in Iceland. You decided who you're going to vote for. <laughs> yeah. Would you share it from any of these places I give you or none of them? Pulpit, radio, microphone, over coffee, social media. Do no. you think you won't share it at all with nope. any of those? I don't nope. think I would either. Really? Yeah. Have you in the past? No, well, that, I shouldn't say that. I don't know. I don't think so. The mo- the only one that brings me doubt is if I was having coffee with someone and it was kind of a personal conversation. But I mm. think even now I'd be probably unwilling to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a strong reason as to why yeah. I don't. But, uh, but certainly not the pulpit, and certainly not social media. Yeah. And yep, uh, unless the higher ups tell us we have to behind these microphones, not these microphones <laughs> either. I don't see that as my role. Well, uh, coming up next. Uh, there was an article that says uh, some research that has pinpointed the age of life where we are most miserable. Oh, no. <laughs> Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Hope you're having a great Friday with a big weekend planned in front of you. You know what I got planned this weekend? I... I do know. So I'm going to tell you again oh. I'm going to Mexico. Oh, you are? Yes, That's I crazy. Am. I am. I told my wife I'm worried about the snow and all the stuff. So, like, the delays that could come. So, I'm like, once that plane is taken off, I'm, everything's just going to go off. Like, I'm like, okay. <laughs> you're going stre- to be stressed up until that point, though? I think so. Okay. I think so. We'll pray for you. That's how I work. But thank you for praying for me. But before we hop into what is our most miserable age that a study found, let me tell you about something <laughs> going on at InTouch Ministries. The new year is underway, and our friends at InTouch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world, an inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free. What? That's right. Free. At 1160hope.com slash contest. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. 1160hope.com slash contest. Hmm. Well, at Fox News, an article came out that says most people reach their peak for being miserable around this age, a study shows. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, I, if you had to guess, I know you've already read it, but like what age would you have guessed before you found out about the actual age? I would have guessed somewhere around 
Um, I would have guessed somewhere in the mid fifties. Oh, you would have. I would have. How about you? I know twelve. We both it. <laughs> that, was a pretty, that was a pretty rough year for me. <laughs> Isn't that a rough year for everybody? Junior high was not. It did not serve me well. I wonder if they also surveyed like junior hires. Yeah, I don't think. I think this probably has to do with adulthood. Adults in guess. general, because that'd be hard to measure. Because again. What feels like the you know world is collapsing to a twelve year old. That's right. Now, from an adult perspective, you're like your life is pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> yeah. No, junior high. You just brought that up. Seventh grade. That was a bad year for me. Yeah. I mean, I assume it was gonna, bad for everybody. It was. I mean, it wasn't bad emotionally or anything. It just literally. If I'm, I'm going to bring you a picture of me in seventh grade. Oh, please. It was, a, it was a bad. Sign. Please do. Yes, it was. It was no good. Do it so I can have it while you're gone in Mexico next week. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's going to show up on our Facebook page. Probably will. <laughs> Probably will. Here. Uh, <laughs> All right. The dreaded midlife crisis may come about because it coincides with life's peak time for misery, a study released this week says, according to a report. That peak time would be around the age, ready for it, Mm -hmm. 47, Dartmouth College professor and former Bank of England policymaker David Blanchflower claims in a study after examining trends in 132 countries to compare the relationship between well-being and age. So I find that really interesting, actually. It's not just a study in the United States. It's not even just a study in Western Europe. 132 countries comparing the relationship between well-being and age. A typical individual's well-being reaches its minimum point on both sides of the Atlantic and for both males and females in midlife, Blanche Flower wrote Mm. in his report for the National Bureau of Economic Research. In order to better understand age's relationship to happiness, Blanche Flower undertook the study using prior surveys of self-reported well-being, the report said. In those reports, the result generally... Uh, the re- the results generally argue happiness across a lifetime is either relatively flat or slightly increasing with age. To achieve a better understanding between happiness and aging, Blanche Flower uh, looked at data from 500,000 randomly sampled Americans and West Europeans. Wow. So it's a pretty massive study it in is. general. Uh, what do you think about the general principle about the rationale behind why 47 is so difficult? I think it makes sense, right? You're, you're not young anymore, but you're not retired. You're kind of in the midst. And th- that midlife crisis, I guess, you know, it's kind of a thing. Like, have I have I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish in my life? Right. Like, I'm getting there. I'm 42, yeah. going on 43. Um, and so this age is coming. I look forward to you. I hope we're still in this radio show so you can be with me for peak unhappiness. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> we'll change the name of our show to peak unhappiness. <laughs> I'll definitely need your junior high photo for that. That's, that'll help lighten the room. But what's fascinating, it says American males... Uh, reach uh, happiness among American males reaches a minimum in their early 50s, whereas women experience peak unhappiness in their late 30s. Oh. So I'm, I'm interested into why there would be that differential between men and women in America. I mean, that's a good 15, 16 year difference. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what to attribute that to or if that's just coincidental and kind of averages out to your mid 40s. But why would you guess the age for men and women? Hmm. This is where Brian Fromm and I like wade into territory way above our pay grade. So, man, I'm going to say something that could get me in a lot of trouble, and you could just tell me if I'm completely wrong. I love when you say that. I feel like I'm painting with a really broad brush. Sure, here come the caveats. My disclaimer is painting with a really broad brush. Uh, I think culturally, a woman's identity has a lot more to do with body image and looks, and men's has more to do with career and job. Hmm. And maybe late 30s. Uh, that's starting to change for women. And maybe early 50s is when a man's going, I really never didn't achieve what I hoped I had achieved. 
and this and that. Painting with an enormous broad brush there, <laughs> but you asked me to take a guess, and that yeah. is my guess. Do you think yeah. I'm on to something, or you got other ideas? Um, that's a good question. I, I, for some reason, I thought kids might have something to do with it, mm. um, but I don't know what the correlation is. This is just the part of the show where it's just a lot of guesswork. <laughs> I like this part and of the someone's show. Someone's <laughs> yelling at the radio or their podcast, and they're like, it's this. Idiots. You're an idiot. <laughs> Why are you even talking still? But I don't, yeah, I don't know, because that is a, that's a really broad brush, and I know plenty, I mean, I know that you do too, plenty of women who are far more career-oriented than their husbands, or the men that I know, or certainly flips all over the time, I think that is uh, more and more, more even than it's ever been in the course of history. I might have just spoken straight out of the 1950s, I might have done that. (laughs) And I don't think it was that bad, I think there might, yeah, you might be, I don't know, I wonder if... um, How do you counsel people through a uh, midlife crisis? What's the yeah. what is the word of wisdom for oh, I'm in the middle of my life I've been, I think the midlife crisis comes cuz I do think it's a looking back over I'm not young anymore right and it's this loss of youth but also did I accomplish what I want and some regret I don't know what what do we pastorally tell people in that age that that stage of life Well and it's uh, here's one of the reasons why I think the difference is so great is I think again by and large women tend to be more intuitive and more introspective so I wonder if there isn't like an earlier awakening to the like, oh, my gosh, life is short and all of this is vapor and all of the Ecclesiastes stuff that we talk about. Yeah, I wonder yeah, if part yeah. of that, because sometimes men can be kind of blockheaded and they just go, 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 go. And it's not till their 50s. They're like, wait a minute. What was all this for? You know what I mean? That, that Maybe that's part mm. of it. But I, I think it's important when whenever like walking through that with somebody is. It really, it, to me, it comes down to identity, and it can't just be about a rah rah, and it can't just be yeah. like, "Well, you're special." It can't be just the end of Edge of Tales, right? God <laughs> made you special, and he loves you very much. Like a lot of people will know that, and yet still feel this deep sadness. I think, you know, the uh, TED talk I talked about with Sean Aker, he talks about the happiness advantage, where if our happiness, our identity is wrapped up in these things or this accomplishment or this life stage, whatever, it's always going to disappoint. Yeah, it's, it may hold up for a while, but you put the expectation of God on anything other than God, it's eventually going to buckle beneath the weight and so I usually talk to people about like where are we putting our identity where are we putting our expectations what are the things that um, inform whether or not we're having a good day week month or year and then kind of start to pull the thread on a little bit of that and see uh, see if we can't kind of reorient some of our some of our identities see yeah. where we're getting our source from that's interesting we're going to put this article if it's not already there on our Facebook page I'd love some feedback maybe some people who know more than we do it might have something to do with kids it might have something to do with career uh, or just the fact there needed to be an age <laughs> and this is what happened to be but I think I think we're on to some stuff there and I, I love the talk about identity because that's ultimately uh, how you know that that is that is the important key to this conversation well coming up next I uh, wanted to look at an, uh, an interview that Ed Stetzer did in Christianity Today with Will Mancini uh, about his book, Unique, and uh, this kind of concept of vision. And that's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you with us on this Friday. It's Friday. That's a good feeling. Uh, hope that you're having a great week, but looking forward to a fun weekend. Uh, hopefully you go uh, go to go find a place to worship on Sunday. Hmm. Where might they go if they uh, are in need town. of a place? <laughs> I'm out of town. <laughs> uh, uh, we would love to have you join us at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, if that's where your neck of the woods. If you don't have a church, you can find us at fccc.church. Where else? If they're in the Naperville area or... 
lots of other areas where there might be some True. campuses. Where, where maybe could uh, they go? 11 locations throughout Chicagoland. Just yeah. go to communitychristian.org. I'll be at the Yellow Box there in Naperville. It's a big old yellow building right there in Ogden. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. It's exa- it's, yeah, it'd be weird if it was blue. I know. Right? <laughs> our, church, our church is soon going to take on the name. We're going to go after you guys. We're going to be Dirty Warehouse. Dirty looking warehouse. <laughs> um, well, we already have uh, Randy Schuf. He has a warehouse church in Aurora. It's not dirty warehouse. It's called it warehouse. warehouse oh yeah, oh yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, we got to get him on. We have learned that being in a warehouse, people will refer to it as that. Like, oh, you're going to the warehouse, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Like, like in conversation? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, I um, actually really like that because it's often like a linguistic battle. We're like, no, we are the church. And yes. like, oh, yeah, but are you going to church? Yeah. So to have the warehouse as a replacement, that's pretty. That's pretty solid. And I could totally see why you guys long ago named it the Yellow Box. I'm sure people were like, oh, it's the Yellow Box looking right. church, and why the guy called it warehouse church because people were like eh, it's, it's, a a church. Warehouse. Right. it's the warehouse church and <laughs> right, so right. why fight it it reminds me of uh who is it joby martin in florida yeah was it church of 1128 or something 1122 and he said he said he named it after what time the services usually started <laughs> <laughs> most, most people think it's like a like a bible verse like right can, is it like, a fiji, is it like what is this deep meaning he's like right nope we always started a little late that's the time we started and, Okay, go He's for it. He's totally like, we've had him speak at Exponential yes. too. That's that's totally who he is through and through, which no I love. Doubt. So much fun. No doubt. So, uh, speaking of Exponential, you and I both have been at Exponential when mm-hmm. Will Mancini has been there. Will Mancini, uh, as background, uh, has started an organization that's pretty prolific that does a lot of church consulting. He uh-huh. goes and meets with church, has a team of people. I got to know one of the guys who works in this place really well. Uh, we actually had him on the show a long time ago named Kent Vincent. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, Will Mancini writes a lot about vision and a lot about kind of getting your church from A to B and all of that. And he didn't, he did, uh, just wrote a book called Unique. He didn't just write, it's been out a little bit, but his book called Unique, Y O U N I Q U E. There you go. And, uh, and he, he did an, uh, in Christianity Today uh, an interview with Ed Stetzer uh, that I just found like it touched on some really important things about uh, personal vision, personal identity. Uh, how do you like? W- how do you view your own life? So I don't know if anything stood out to you in the interview that uh, that Mancini did with Stetzer here. Yeah, there are a couple of questions that I thought were particularly on the nose. Stetzer's a good interviewer, too, mm-hmm. by the way. He asked good questions. He said, uh, in our busy, chaotic lives, what tips do you have for readers on slowing down and realizing their divine design? That's a question that I hear all the time. Yep. Will said, the first point is to remember that God had a dream over your life when you were born. The most important breakthrough in the intangible areas of our lives, understanding God's dream for you, life calling or goal setting, etc., all require margin. Where there is no margin, there is no imagination. Oh, I think that's true. Line. Both in like a cosmic existential sense, but I think it's also true like if you're a writer or a painter, right? It's I've never once heard a professional painter say, "Okay, I got 12 minutes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. crank." I've never heard them say, "Crank out, yep. crank out a painting." I you gotta know? get this done, right? Like it's not. There's no drive through to imagination and the idea of like establishing margin. Which we're actually talking about Sabbath this Sunday, so I'm like, wow, especially steeped in all of this. And he goes on. He says, "When God created day and night, He built calendar blocking into the universe for our physical life replenishment because most people sleep every night. He did the same when He established the Sabbath. There's almost never an obstacle to plugging time." into your calendar for planned reflection. Start by, um, there's almost never an obstacle. To, uh, sorry, I read that twice. Starting by setting aside at least 15 minutes once a week and at least two hours once a quarter and at least one day every year for planned reflection. Hmm. I think that, I don't know if you have a rhythm like that or not, but every time I read these like gurus of the yeah. faith and I'm like, oh, that's, 
I imagine that plays a big role into kind of getting them to where they're yeah, at. I remember one another guy saying, I could get this wrong, but I remember him saying uh, an hour a week, a day a month, a week a year as like reflection and planning and yeah, right. quiet and personal time. I remember that. I don't do that. Right, I, I remember the one but I remember really, it. I remember the one that I remember the one that really stood out was a week a year. Yeah, I'm like wow, a week. Like okay, just to shut everything down and right. and like really kind of think more bigger picture, but also connect with God. But that hour a day, that that day a week, that intentionality that it requires. I'm sure when you talk about Sabbath, you're going to talk about intentionality. I'm sure, right, right, because these things don't just happen for us. Yeah, none of us fall backwards into Sabbath rest and margin. Right. It's always like, I think I told you about a conversation I had with my little sister. I had been out here for a few years. She was still quite young. And we were supposed to have a phone call. And I and we kept missing it. And we were like emailing or something. And uh, I said, can we do it next week? Next This week's kind of crazy. And she was like seven. And she said, you say every week is kind of crazy. And I was like, oh, man, that was so convicting. She's yep. like, you make the same excuse. And she's seven. You need to do something different. Yeah. That's if you were to meet her now, it's really it's really she just says really true, smart things a lot and has been for a long time. But I remember that being really convicting. (laughs) The other question that Ed asked that I thought he said, why is this clarity and purpose so important for living the Christian life? So maybe someone's asking, yeah, I prayed a prayer. I go to church. I don't know that I need clarity of purpose. He says most believers with the best intentions will spend their lives being what people pay them to be or imitating the success of others. Wow. Add in the speed of life and years go by in a flash without taking any time for processed reflection. Precision in self-awareness is rare. As a result, believers don't even come close to maximizing the unique ultimate con- contribution that each person was created to make. I love that idea of our temptation to just simply, well, I'll do what people pay me to do or I'll imitate what's popular. And by most metrics, that goes unnoticed, right? Because that's what yes. all of us are doing. So it's like, yes. well, you're doing what I do. So, uh, which is probably a lot leading to what we were talking about in the previous segment, why so many of us wake up at 47 and we're like, Wait, what am I doing? Exactly. How, how did I get here? I don't want to be here. This yeah. isn't what I dreamt when I was 22 and fiery. And maybe maybe there, uh, there's a correlation there. Yeah, and so he goes on to ask, Stetzer asks him, what are your hopes for this book and how our readers are transformed by it? Again, the book is called Unique. He said, I hope that people dream again and do something about it. I hope people get excited about the fact that when they grow to be more like Jesus, they also become more like the original version of themselves that God designed them to be. I hope that people experience a new level of confidence, freedom, and energy living from a crystal clear sense of personal uh, calling. And I, I think that's fascinating. This concept of... Uh, allowing yourself to dream again. I also think that's what happens as you get older. You just lose the ability to dream, uh, to go, man, what could be? What do I dream about doing? I'm always impressed when you meet people who are retired or this or that, who are like trying new things and like kind of stretching themselves. Because right. I think for most of us, our lives just kind of slow down and, and, and you know, dreaming is for the youth and, and you kind of, you know, no, I, I, I'm too, I, I've got too many bills to pay to dream again. And, and so his call here that he's hoping as people read this book, they'll dream again, yeah. I think is a really powerful call. I forget who said it. I, I'm trying to find it. I think it was Nikki Gumbel mm-hmm. and I'm going to butcher the numbers, but it was something like the average, the average five-year-old asks 156 questions a day. The average 35-year-old asks three or something like that. And he said, when Jesus says that the kingdom is closest to those like children, Mm. I wonder if that was part of it. Like part of this kingdom imagination not only requires margin and having, you know, the spine to actually carve it out in our calendar, but also 
the willingness to be mm. curious. Like yeah. a lot of us are so self-assured and we're so confident this is the way it's always going to go either yep. with positivity or negativity. A lot of us get caught in these these cycles are like, well, this is how relationships always go, and this yes. is how jobs always go, and this is it might as well happen to me. You just sort of get life beaten out of you, yeah. and now having like brand like a two year old and a one year old, the wonder with which they see the world like has opened up so much to me. What Jesus maybe was implying when he said, "Yeah, the, the, unless you become like these kids, you're yeah, not really going to get good. it. You're going to miss it." You know, that's really good. I can remember my kids being younger, like your kids' age, and just the things we do for like two hours right. and you're like, well, this is really fun. We're just right. going to play in the grass for two hours. So uh, I found that uh, interview helpful. If you did too, go pick up the book unique Y O U N I Q U E by Will Mancini coming up next. I want to share a hard story that I found fascinating. I was kind of reading through from the sports world last night. We're going to talk about that next here on the coming good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good. This just this music, you know. I feel like I can't commit hard on this one. I can't commit excited. You could. You should just try it. All right, it's still going. Hey, everybody, welcome to the common good. Yeah, right. It that feels weird. It Not. Fit. Yeah, you. Your your first instinct was yeah, correct. I think so. So, hey, welcome back to the common good. <laughs> AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, We are grateful for those of you who do listen by the podcast. Uh, before discussing this, I want to make sure people know coming up later in the second hour, we're going to talk, uh, have a guest in studio, Michelle Wilkins. Yes. And uh, a friend of yours. Yeah, but, she's awesome. Uh, a writer, a fascinating story. So we're very excited. We'd encourage you uh, to stick around in the five o'clock hour to hear, uh, to hear Michelle Wilkins. Uh, I want to give an update on a story I read uh, to us a week, a month maybe ago, maybe a little bit less. It was about a 34-year-old former ESPN reporter, uh, Edward Ashkoff, and he just tragically died. And you might remember the story. He died of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, what? Like a 34-year-old guy got pneumonia. And uh, it was really, rightfully so, just messing with people. Like, wait. Uh, his fiance at the time tweeted like he was perfectly healthy. Right. Uh, he had gone for tests before. And so people are trying to put the pieces together like, gosh, could I die of pneumonia? Like, what is right. going on? And she had like a nine tweet thread yesterday uh, that I was reading and just fascinated about. I'm like, man, we should talk about this. Hmm. Uh, she did it on his Twitter account and said, this is the last time I'm going to tweet from his personal account. But I've got some news that might be comforting to people. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to just read it uh, because it was, it blew my mind when I read it. Yeah. Uh, let me just read this short story out of the New York post. Former ESPN reporter, Edward Ashkoff had an aggressive form of cancer when he died on Christmas Eve, his fiance revealed uh, Katie Bertot Berto said she only learned of the diagnosis after his death. When the hospital delivered the final results from his lung biopsy, she wrote, Unbeknownst to us, Edward had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in his lungs. This is an aggressive type of cancer that is usually undetectable until it is very advanced. 
advanced. Uh, Berteau said that pneumonia and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which Ashkoff was suffering from at the time of his death, can trigger HLH, a rare disease that attacks the immune system. Uh, Berteau said the development, quote, has helped me knowing that his passing was inevitable, and I'm at least grateful he didn't have to go through the painful treatment and drawn-out process of battling the disease. She added, he wouldn't have wanted to go out like that. He was too vain. And so uh, I read that and was just floored by it that yeah. a healthy 34-year-old guy living his dream, doing this, that seems to die of pneumonia, in reality had an aggressive stage four uh, cancer in his lungs. Man, that just blew me away when I read that. So, why, so why do you want to do this story? I think a couple different reasons. One, to update it, because we did do this story about a month ago. Right. Uh, two, and not to be too melancholy, maybe maybe the music fit at the beginning of this mm, segment. Maybe it fit. prophetic, John. Um, but I think what got me was the fact that, apart from the, the pneumonia... Uh, this guy had an aggressive form of cancer that was going to kill him that was going and he had no idea. Yeah. And again, not to be too melancholy, but it reminds me of um, not just the brevity of life, but the unknownness. Hmm. Is that a word? The um, that, that we don't we're not promised another day. And right out of the book of James, right? And that, that, you know, age of 34, he's living his dream as ESPN reporter. He's engaged. All of his tests say that he's perfectly healthy. He's right. like, I got 50 years to go. Yeah, right. Crushing and in it. reality, right. doesn't know what's going on. And so we don't live in fear of that. Hmm. But I do think it's an important reminder. Uh, and it's a really like, ob- like a, like a, a huge reminder. It's like, you know, blinking at us hmm. of like, man, you just don't know. Yeah. You just don't know. And that could depress us. That can give us like this kind of this melancholy, like, oh, then what's the point? Right. right. Or it can remind us that every day is precious and that every day matters and uh, and to live life to the fullest. And we can explain uh, we could discuss a little bit what that means, but to live life to the fullest, uh, because not tomorrow, Scripture tells us, isn't promised to yeah. us. So so what would you recommend someone listening? They're driving in their car. They're going for a walk. They're hearing this story. They're hearing even that the fiance was a little comforted, you know, knowing like, okay, that does help at least explain some things. I don't know that comforted is the word she used or not, but that certainly feeling like, all right, that at least said it helped me. It helped. Right. She knew that this was kind of it helped knowing that the his end was inevitable anyway. uh, Part of what you're saying is all of our ends are inevitable. Right. So, again, trying not to be. Completely Eeyore here on, <laughs> exactly. a, on a Friday. It's hard not to on this one, right. but I think it's important. But what what would you challenge people to do or to think about apart from just the you know the adage or the sanctimony about everything is precious or every day matters, every day yep, is a yep. gift. You know, I heard a comedian recently. He's like, man, if every day is a if every day is a gift, I hope you kept the gift receipt on some of those. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to give that. You know, some of us live in the reality yeah, of like yeah. today doesn't feel like a gift, and I'm still grateful to be alive. But you know what? can we learn or how can we respond or what does this reveal about God or the universe or the cosmos, you know, and the, and the guy who dies of something that, you know, he didn't even know was there. What is, what is sort of like the pastoral uh, wisdom that you would offer? Yeah, that's a great point. I do think uh, one of the takeaways is it reminds us in the words of scripture um, that, that this world is not our home, right? That, that, that the book of revelation, right? There's, there's no more death. There's no more tears. There's no more crying. Like that's helpful when you see somebody you know, taken down in their youth, if you will. Uh, but two, like 
it is hard because you can't live every day actually like you might die tomorrow, right? Like you can't right. live with that intensity. But I do think of how many days I kind of throw away. Like, uh, you know, if I'm just going to kind of, you know, get through this day and then I just want to fall into the couch and whatever, you right, know. Right. And again, you can't there, there's a fine line here of living with over intensity. And, and yeah, uh, but there is something to be said of what would our lives look like if we did at least consciously at times remind ourselves, I'm not guaranteed 80 years. I'm not guaranteed anything. And we all know those people around us. But, it, you know, I know sometimes I feel like. Uh, I'm immune to that. Like, oh, but it's not going to be me. And and I do think it changes uh, the way maybe we view our marriages or our kids or, uh, you know, how I relate to, you know, m- maybe the the, um, the drive that I feel maybe to share my faith with my neighbor that I've been holding out or right. my friend, having these deeper conversations with people, engaging in community as opposed to like, I'll do that later. Yeah, I'll take I'll have that good conversation with my kid later. Right. Uh, I'll take my wife out on that date or, or we'll have that. You know, we'll work this issue out later. I'll reconcile with that person later. Right. And just a reminder that later is not promised. Yeah. And I think, too, like it is. And we've talked about this before. A strange honor to to be a pastor uh, at times of funerals and mm-hmm. and to to experience that as often as we do does have a way of sort of crystallizing what really matters mm-hmm. because it almost always comes down to the same thing. Like, these are the people that we care about. Why has it yeah. been so long since we talked? Why yeah, exactly. Been, a lot of times it's geography or it's busyness and it's almost always the phrase, well, life got on the way. And it sort of is this this challenge almost to not let life get in the way of like living the life that God intended you yeah. for, which is not always the like, give it your all right. That's the, the Tim cook quote. Like mm. life is fragile. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Give it everything. It also means I think being really serious about like you were saying, hitting pause and noticing the yes. little things. And we were talking about childlike wonder and like, man, life's a little too short, not to just sit and fully watch the sunset now and again, yeah. or blow bubbles for no reason, or to go for a walk, not to burn calories, but just to go for a walk. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yep. those are the things that I think we often think that we'll eventually get to. It's like, it's like my little sister we were saying earlier in the show. And when I said, God, this week's crazy. Can we talk next week? And she said, you that's say right. every week is crazy. That's right. And if that's true, what changes or shifts do we need to make right here and now to actually make that a priority? And I think that's a, I think that's important. I think it's a great takeaway. Because, again, this type of story can be really melancholy and depressing. And we're not looking to do that to you on a Friday. But I do think it raises just some important things for us to be thinking about. So, uh we're glad that you're with us here on this Friday afternoon. Free and Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. 
It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. everybody welcome back to the common good am 1160 hope for your life it is friday and we are glad that you are with us you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show twitter at common good talk online 1160hope.com as always you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast go ahead and subscribe uh rate and review it's friday at five o'clock i feel like we should jump into some politics <laughs> right is that how you end isn't that how you end a week uh, no, that's not how that's I end how a week. we are going to no. end this week. <laughs> let me do remind you, especially if you're going to go away when I mention the word politics. Uh, let me remind you, we're about to have a, after this, we are going to have a, uh, a guest in studio, Michelle Wilkins. And I couldn't uh, encourage you enough to stay with us because yeah. her story is going to be She's awesome. fascinating. Before yep. we kick this off, let me uh, tell you about something with our friends at In Touch Ministries. The new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary... <laughs> Complimentary. <laughs> that wasn't on purpose? Nope. Oh, that's funny. A complimentary wall calendar. It's my new Christianity today. It's, it's my new. A complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to Be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. Sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash contest. <laughs> we win cash with it? Yeah, but it wasn't it free, though? It was. I think we should have had a, a drop of like a, someone taking a picture. Because it's his photography. Oh, because it's, or the sound of someone flipping a calendar. Mm. The picture's one's better. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's the headline for you. Wisconsin pastor worries some congregation members worship Trump more than Jesus. Huh. Let me read the article. Okay. President Trump won Wisconsin in 2016 by a margin of only 0.77%. I didn't realize it was that close. That's crazy. And ahead of the November election, Democrats and Republicans are keeping a close eye on the 19 counties that backed former President Obama in 2012 and switched to Trump four years later. In rural Forest County, Pastor Franz Gerber, I almost said Franz Gruber, that was a... Different. Yes. Different. <laughs> Franz Gerber of the Praise Chapel Community Church said he voted for Trump four years ago as abortion is his biggest issue. Now, right. he told The Guardian, if he had the opportunity again, I may vote differently. I would perhaps vote for someone who's not part of the major two parties. I would feel that my conscience would feel maybe a little bit cleaner had I gone that route. Uh, most of his congregation or members are Republicans, uh, and he is worried that a good portion of them appear to revere Trump more than they worship Jesus. Let me pause there for a second. This gets at a little bit something earlier that we talked about earlier in the show that most people don't uh, in the Christianity Today survey said they don't even know what their pastor, uh, how the pastor votes or right. what the pastor believes. It's all connected. So this guy went a little different. Uh, would you say it's it's fair to say in our culture as we think about idol worship and politics uh, that there are a lot of people who worship Trump more than Jesus and there are people who uh, worship um, anti-Trump as much as Jesus, or are we completely blowing that out of proportion? Golly, how do I even answer that? Because I think both are idols that we're seeing, but I don't know if 
saying that this anything, is topping Jesus. Anything can be an idol. Explain yeah. that for people um, who may not be familiar. That might be like, I don't have a like a gold statue. Yeah, an idol is anything that we attribute ultimate worth to, mm-hmm. right? And that's where even the word worship comes from, worship. It's ascribing ultimate worth. And so mm. I think uh, if you have interest, Tim Keller's Counterfeit Gods Love is the book. an incredible treatment on this notion that idols aren't just big statues and emperors and things that are really obvious or things that we tend to you know often depict as idols but honestly wealth can be an idol our job can be an idol our spouse can be an idol yes. even good things that's the other thing that people often miss good things can be idols too. our kids are our biggest idols right these days. oh right we've we've even done a show on that before so um part of me it goes on a little bit to unpack this a bit some of i struggle a little bit to fully buy into this and again this is one pastor's perspective and so i want to you know give credence to his experience and his perspective. Uh, it feels like, based on what I see, a lot of it seems to be a whole lot more like a diehard allegiance to a political party, which just happens to have this guy or that girl or whatever at the helm yes. you know, at this given yes. time. Um, it does also feel, maybe this is a different issue, I don't know necessarily that the people that we tend to see in like the spotlight, so the the celebrities that are you know in this camp, mm-hmm. um, it seems like more the idol might be power and influence yeah. than like Donald J. Trump himself, um, which is maybe not an important distinction, but I think it I think it is, and I, I don't know that. And again, the the interview here he goes on to say it, it seems like there are many evangelical Christians that are willing to die on the hill of supporting the Republican president, supporting Donald J. Trump. Um, and to me, that hill is not worth dying on. No matter who the candidate is, no matter who the individual is, to put all your hope into that individual is a dangerous road. Scripture would warn us against that. I don't know any like true Bible-believing Christians who would say, oh, I'm putting all my hope in Trump. Right. The vast majority are saying, I mean, I hear a lot of people like, yeah, I, don't, I think his character is out of whack, mm. but I – I align more fully with his policies, with his particular perspective. And so I, I struggle a little bit with that, like, oh, they're worshiping Trump. Like, right. No, many that I'm talking to are owning the fact that they don't find his character to necessarily be one worth, you know, ascribing or one worth um, aiming for. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, like, I think he's going to enact the stuff that's best for me and my family. And so that's what we're doing. I think that tends to be the much more common narrative that I'm hearing. I don't know about you. I think you're right. I do think it's an overstatement when we're going, you know, uh, I worship Trump or I worship, you know, the anti-Trump, whatever, you know, whether it be a Democrat uh, coming up for president or whether it just be the notion of Donald Trump not uh, remaining president. I don't hear that a lot. But I do think if you're out there and um, let's say that you are voting for the president and you're you're passionate about that uh, and you think that everyone who doesn't vote for him is evil. Yeah. Right. uh, Or is we've taught we did an article recently where someone claimed I think it was Jim Baker claimed that, you know, if you don't vote for Trump, it questions your faith. (laughs) Right. Right. uh, Or vice versa. Right. You think everyone who votes for Trump can't be a Christian because uh, X, Y or Z. Right. Then I would say you're in dangerous territory. You've begun elevating the. The politician or the office uh, above, uh, I would even go so far as to say you're, 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 you know, above Jesus or above. You've got your your priorities out of whack. Yeah, so I right. do think idol worship, I think, is is a big claim to make. But I do think that's a huge red flag if that's how you feel when you hear about who your brothers or sisters in Christ are voting for. Well, we don't have a lot of time. But what do you think about this other thing? Then Donald Trump is promising big action on school prayer to rally evangelical voters. That is. Uh, obviously a bit of a slanted headline already, right? Yeah. MSNBC. No, that's not what it is. It's MSN. Um, 
It says uh, President Donald Trump is promising big action to promote school prayer, tapping into the long controversial issue of religion in public schools as he seeks to rally the evangelicals who are key in his 2016 election. Mm-hmm. I imagine there are a lot of Christians listening, thinking like, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, we're rallying prayer in schools. That's one of the things that's that's exactly what I think a lot of people are talking about. Right. Yes, I, I don't necessarily think that his character is upstanding, but he's doing things like this. And so that. That is worthy of my support. What do you What do you say to that? You know, I, I don't mean to come across as as anti prayer. So I I like there to be freedom. But it, my thing about school prayer has always been: as long as we're okay in the public school of freedom of religion for all religions, then go for it. Hmm. So if it's just for the Christians, because we might be in the majority, or he right. wants that vote, then I would say, quite frankly, and I've got kids in the schools. Um, you know, I don't hear a lot in the schools about can they pray or can they not, but. Uh, you know, um, I have a problem with it if it's like, hey, you, these ty- these people can pray, but these people can't. So as long as you're good with it across the board, you know, then I then I can see you arguing for it. What about yourself? Well, I, I find this interesting. Uh, it says Republicans are far more likely than Democrats to support school prayer, according to a Gallup poll showing that overall American support for daily prayer in public school classrooms has fallen from 70 percent in 1999 to 61 percent in 2014. It does not specify yep. like Protestant Christian prayer mm. or Orthodox Catholic prayer. But in general, the receptivity seems to be on the decline. But I, I think you're right, though. If we're going to if it's going to be about prayer in schools, it needs to be it needs to be prayer for everybody. Absolutely. And quite frankly, as one who has kids in the public school, uh, I would like most of things to be left out and, and so that I can be the one teaching my kid as opposed hmm. to someone else choosing. But yeah, uh, that's for my own. Uh, that, that's how I feel. Well, coming up next, we are excited to have a friend of yours, Michelle Wilkins, join us. She's an author, but she also has a fascinating story about being far from God uh, and then God doing a miraculous work in her yeah. life. We're super excited for you to hear that story. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us on this Friday evening. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Well, Ian and I, as pastors and radio guys, we like to talk, but we more like to talk to other people. Sometimes it's tiresome talking to each other. And so part of our most fun part about this job is having fascinating people come through. And so we are grateful for Michelle Wilkins to join us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Okay. So this should be easy, but it's sometimes <laughs> a little bit hard for writers to, to talk about themselves in a, a short manner. Yeah. Um, but I am a local writer. I live in Aurora with my husband. Um, we were recently married in August. Hello, Ian actually married us. Beautiful oh, ceremony, by the way. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, that homily. Other than the officiant, it was a perfect day. Um, so, yeah, I'm a copywriter by trade, so I work for a social media software company called Sprout Social, and I've been there for almost three years now. Uh, before that, I was in advertising. I was writing for a bunch of big brands. I won't, I won't name them just mm-hmm. in case, like, legal reasons. Sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just have always been a writer, have always enjoyed um, just sharing stories and trying. It's also the only thing I've ever really been good at. Um, I was the kind of student that was like C and D student for math and science, but like A A and A plus student for reading and writing. And so it's always just been something that I enjoy and something that 
people seem to think I'm pretty good at. That's great. I'll totally agree. You are very good, and we're <laughs> we're going to get into that. But I just wanted the record to show. <laughs> you wanted it out there. Yeah, people can't see you flip oh, your hair. Oh yeah, okay, sorry. I was flare adding flare. Thank you. Dust my shoulders off. We do that all the time. Um, I'm wondering if you could. I know a, a good deal of it, but could you just share some of your story and your faith journey? Because I think that helps frame some of your writing, especially what you've been writing recently. So could you just give us some of that context? Yeah. So I was raised Catholic. Um, uh, My parents, my brother, we were all really involved in church um, growing up. Uh, And the the Catholic church that I went to didn't have a student sort of ministry. And so Mm. for me, like faith and religion and God was always um, my family. Mm. And it was that foundation that I had. But when I went away to college and I was sort of out of that bubble and out of their influence, um, I just sort like slowly started uh, drifting away. Mm. And I didn't have, you know, I joined a sorority and I was sort of like hanging out with people and maybe doing things that um, weren't in line with the way I was raised, but I didn't care because I was having fun. Right, and, right. Um, and I think it just opens you up to, I was meeting a lot of people and I was like, well, these people are good. You, maybe you don't have to believe. Right. And just that, that I think, um, I don't know, crisis that you have maybe when you grow up sort of in the religion bu- bubble. Um, and so I think I just, for the all of college and afterwards, I just was slowly, I still believed, hmm. um, but... My, I wasn't living it. Mm. And uh, then in 2013, uh, I met a guy. Every story, good story starts that way. <laughs> or maybe not every yeah. great story starts that way. Um, and he was a, an atheist. And he was the first um, person that I had ever um, been interested in that didn't believe at all. Mm. And at that point, I was so far away. I mean, I, I guess I still believed, but it didn't matter really to me. And it didn't dictate how I was living my life. And I liked him and it didn't matter to me. Um, and we dated for three years. And over the course of that relationship, I um, I fell away pretty hard mm. and started reading some of the books that he was reading, Richard Dawkins. I got really into the atheist movement. Um, and at that point, I, I had kind of came to this realization that I was like, I don't know if I ever really believed. Did mm. I really believe because... I was raised this way and I actually got kind of resentful. I felt like my parents had never really given me a choice Mm. and I I went on this, I don't know, I was trying to find truth, but I don't think that I wanted to find Christianity. I I said Mm. that I was searching to see what I really believed, but I didn't want it to be Christianity. Right. Um, And so uh, that relationship, like I said, lasted for three years. Um, When we broke up, I hit, rock bottom pretty quickly Mm. um i had i had sort of isolated myself during that relationship i had shared my new beliefs with my parents and um that was a really hard time for us as a family my mom just would cry every time we'd talk about it Mm. and i i essentially had gotten to a place where i said i didn't believe i i mean i had been such a like i guess a believer when i was younger and i had gotten to this place where i was like none of this is real. Mm. You, you know, you force this on me. The Bible is a bunch of, you know, bull. And uh, (laughs) I just like, I, I was, I was angry and, and I loved my boyfriend and I wanted to be in that sort of place. And anyway, so uh, when we broke up, I had, my family wasn't around me. I didn't have a lot of friends. Mm. And so I was like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to deal with this? I was living in the city I was isolated from everyone. So I like trying to make new friends. I started going out and drinking a lot. Mm. And um, obviously that never leads to good decisions. (laughs) And um, I think like 
pretty mercifully, like I hit my rock bottom pretty quick after that. It was only a couple of months basically for my whole life to sort of unravel. Um, Super depressed, super lonely, Mm. um, drinking a ton, making not good decisions um, as one does when they're getting drunk every night. Um, And I just woke up one day after a a particularly bad blackout Mm. and I was worried about the things that I had done the night before and basically just had that moment right yeah, where I was just right. like oh my gosh I have I don't know what I'm doing with what is life. happening yeah right. and and it was a really scary place to be and I called my mom she's the only mm. person that I really felt like um would listen to me or would would have any good advice and she was so loving and so mm. you know gracious in her acceptance and it wasn't like a, I told you so it was right. she cried with me and uh, I was just like I essentially like the first step of, you know, the 12 steps in alcohol, mm-hmm. alcoholism is like, I admit that I am just powerless over yeah. my life. I ha- I don't know what I'm doing. And she was like, well, you got to pray. Mm. And I was like, but I don't believe in God. How can I pray? Right. And she's like, you got to pray anyway. Mm. And that, that like conversation was like pivotal. Like that morning, I remember where I was, um, and I was just like, oh, man, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. I don't know where to look. I was like, do I look at <laughs> the face? Right, right. Do I get a picture of him? Do I, yeah. Right. And so I just I just sat on the bed and I remember just being like, all right, I don't know if you're real. I don't know, mm. you know, where you are, what you're doing, but I need help. Mm. And it was like that simple, essentially. Um, at least that prayer was that simple. Mm. And after that, just... I mean, I guess I could I could tell the long story, <laughs> the long version of the story, the short version. Um, but I started um, just seeking him um, day by day. I was reading books that my mom had given me. Mm. Um, I read a book by Richard Rohr, mm. uh, Breathing Underwater, I think it is. Um, and just learning about um, spirituality and addiction and, and all of the, the pain that I was feeling. And eventually one of the biggest steps for me was like, okay, I need to be with my family. Right. That, that, that isolation was, I feel like really hurting me and being mm. in the city and my nephew had just been born. And so I moved out to the suburbs and I moved into an apartment complex that was across from community Christian church. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I didn't know when I had chosen that place, my brother and sister-in-law had said, Oh, well, we go to church there. The, the yellow box. You're like that's and a church. I <laughs> didn't even know. It's a big yellow box. <laughs> right, right. And so I, I went, I had actually tried a couple of other churches before that. But, um, when I went there, I think it was the first time that I was there, uh, Lucas and Evelyn saying, do it again, which mm. is an elevation worship church that undid me. Mm. And I just remember crying so hard and just being like, this is it. Like, this is that moment for me. And wow. I, I didn't miss a Sunday service for <laughs> probably a year after that. Wow. Like I, and just ever since then, he has changed my life in a lot of ways. Mm. That's yeah. remarkable. I love that story. Thank you for sharing yeah, all sure. of that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm sure there's people out there who definitely needed to hear that. I'm curious, um, this intensity of like this transformation, right? This intense, how speak to, does that wear off? Or like, is that something you still long for? Like, how mm-hmm. does that work now that you're a couple years out and being a Christian's a little more normal? I'm wondering what that's like. The, sorry, repeat the intensity of... Like uh, like going from rock bottom to meeting oh. God, and now now it's probably a little more normal like oh. being a Christian. I'm wondering if that's weird at all, or if you still have that in your mind. I still cry pretty regularly. Mm. I, it still feels very fresh to me. Mm. I I know that um, even though it's been a couple of years, 
uh, when that song plays, I cry every time. Oh, I feel very connected to a lot of the things that happened, and I and I think I hope that it never. I hope that I never get numb to that feeling. Yeah. I hope I always feel as um, undone and un, un, unbelievably happy and grateful for what happened to me. I hope that it always feels that fresh because no, I think I, when you forget, it is when you you start to become absolutely. less grateful. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you telling your story. I think there's people out there that need to hear it mm-hmm. who are in that similar spot. So you listen to Michelle Wilkins. She is going to stay with us for another segment. Uh, we're going to jump into all sorts of different things that she's written and uh, see where the conversation goes. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we're excited to be joined by Michelle Wilkins. She was in uh, last segment. If you missed it, I couldn't encourage you more to go back to the uh, the podcast or go to 1160hope.com, and you can listen to that. Michelle uh, told us her kind of life story and her coming to faith, and it was really encouraging. I want to talk a little bit more about your writing. Uh, Two questions. One, where can people find you? Mm -hmm. So if they want to write, if they're like, man, I'm really intrigued by what she has to say, where can they find you? And, And maybe who? Who's that demographic that you're writing to? Mm-hmm. Who is kind of your target audience as you're writing that you're thinking about? Yeah, I think, um, well, definitely where you can find me now is on an online publication called Medium, mm-hmm. um, medium.com. And then if you just search Michelle Wilkins in there, some of my articles will probably pop up. Um, I have tried my own blogs before, and I feel like I've started and stopped like a million yeah. blogs. <laughs> and just, totally. I have a hard time finding that niche, like finding who I'm talking about and what I want to talk about. I think um, God has done so much in my life and sort of healed me in a lot of different areas. Mm. I sometimes struggle to figure out what, what part I want to talk about and what part of my life that I want to talk the most about. So what I've been doing re- recently is just trying to um, take inspiration just from conversations that I'm having with people. Mm. Um, even in my own life, like certain things that have happened, I'm like, oh, that would make a good article. Um, and usually who I think I'm talking to or who I'd like to be talking to, I <laughs> guess, um, because I'm sharing a lot of these articles on my Facebook page. Um, you know, all of us, our Facebook uh, friends list is just a giant list of everybody that we've ever met since college. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sometimes earlier. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, for me. And so, um, you know, since I recommitted my life back to Christ only a couple of years ago, most of that, the people on that list are non-believers. And so I kind of see that as a really special opportunity to be able to share some of these messages um, or at least expose people to those messages um, in a way that they probably wouldn't really come unless they were seeking it out. Yeah, for Um, sure. And so I, I, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm, speaking more to like where I was maybe yeah. five or six years ago. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Well, you've written a bunch this year in particular, mm-hmm. like starting, you said this is part of a new writing goal. Some of yeah. the titles you have, Five Dumb Reasons Not to Be Kind to Someone, <laughs> Where's God and Our Pain and Suffering. That's one that we've talked about mm-hmm. a lot. But the one that I want to get sort of your feedback on a little bit and so sort of your insight, you wrote this one called Forgive Them, Forgive Them All. And it's, I just found it so powerful. It doesn't uh, hurt that you're just a really a really talented writer anyway, oh, but I, it's true. But I think that the subject matter and the tone is so good. Talk to me a little bit about that article, why you wrote it, what kind of your hope for that is in the first place. Yeah. I think the forgiveness article for me was one of the instances where it was a, a personal um, mm, right. experience or I guess a couple of personal experiences. I was um, just noticing how forgiveness had been um, a really powerful tool for healing for me in a mm. couple of different areas. Um, and what I thought was interesting is that it's it, it was helping me in just some of the smallest situations, whether mm. it was frustrations of my morning commute, 
um, dealing with social media trolls. Um, <laughs> Those and, exist? Yeah, I guess. And not for, I, I'm like, I'm so nice. Why are you yelling at me? Um, <laughs> but, and then also in like some pretty deep rooted hurts as well. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of being like seeing how God and, and this practice of, of sort of radical forgiveness mm-hmm. and um, how it was helping me get through these situations. And I was like, man, I wish... Um, you know, some people in my life maybe had this same understanding or, or were right. able to sort of use that as well to kind of use that as a tool for healing. Um, and so that, that's where I was coming from. I was like, I feel like God wants me to tell people about this. Mm. I, he's not, I, I, about everything that I'm writing about, I know that he's healing me, but not just for my own benefit. Like, mm. I don't think he's just trying to make me have this amazing life. I mm. think he's saying, uh, learn the lesson and then teach it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Why? Do, speaking of forgiveness, sounds like you've done a lot of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes we had this discussion, I believe, on yesterday's show, maybe two days ago, about uh, we all know in our minds forgiveness brings healing to us. But a lot of times, I think I even admitted I would have chosen bitterness in this one mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. we were discussing. Uh, why do you think forgiveness is so hard practically for people to embrace? That's a really good question. I mm-hmm. think um, I think a lot of people just don't think that people deserve it. Hmm. I think that we are all sort of judging whether or not people deserve our forgiveness and, and wanting people, and maybe this sounds kind of harsh, but wanting people to sort of pay for, for what they've done. Yeah. And I talk about in the article about how really self-defeating that is in the end and how you think that you're sort of holding people accountable for it, but especially for hurts that have been years gone, those people don't really probably even think about you anymore. And right. you're the only person that's being hurt by it at that right. point. And, um, and yeah, just like with the the Instagram troll, you know, it's just he he had given me so much anxiety and I was so mad at him. Mm. And I was like, this is just some random dude from like grade <laughs> school. Like, I can't let him have this power over me. Right. Um, but, you know, he was being kind of a jerk. And mm. so I think a lot of people would say, like, he was being a jerk. It was him. He was wrong. You know, right. I, I, right. I don't know. I think maybe because people think that forgiveness only hap- needs to happen when someone has... Um, like really hurt you, but I think you can forgive in a lot of other instances too. Totally. I think you can forgive people when they make you mad. I think when they make you impatient, when mm. they're when they don't even do anything to you and they're just being and it's annoying. Like <laughs> you can forgive people in so many different instances. That's right. why I think it's like kind of silly. I say in there like mm. forgiving the woman who cut me off like on the train. Yeah. Just like ah, that's so annoying. But like bless her. Right. Yeah. And it helps. Well, and the the uh, you know the adage about unforgiveness is like drinking poison expecting mm-hmm. the other person to die Absolutely. you know like half the time they're not even thinking about it it's yep. just eating me up inside whether right. something small or something big doesn't mean that something bad wasn't done to you it's not yeah. diminishing the wrong that was done to you it's saying nope i'm taking bolt cutters to the chain that connects the wrong that you've done to me and i think that so beautifully comes out in this which actually i think corresponds to this other one probably your highest uh, mm. traffic article the one about kindness yeah which is a topic he and i have brian and i've talked about a number of times there's the samuel johnson quote that i've always loved where he said Kindness is in our power even when fondness is not. Mm. And in this age where everyone's like, I'm mad at you. No, I'm mad at you. And I disagree. And we vote differently. And we believe differently. Like, yeah. what inspired you to write about something like kindness that I think is so needed? And then what, mm. are, what are some of the big like, takeaways for our listeners? I think, um, I think just looking around every once in a while and noticing just even in like restaurants with how people treat servers and just in all these like everyday situations, realizing how 
uncommon kindness is yeah, now, right, unfortunately, right. which is yeah. really sad. And mm. I think it is such a, a big opportunity for um, Christians to sort of be able to shine that light is people will notice now, I think, more right. often when someone is being kind. Mm. And for me, definitely, it's just like trying to show kindness in situations where most people don't or where many people don't. And then right. hoping that that's sort of living out our faith in a way that people take note of. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. really good. With a little bit of the time that we have left uh, in the first segment, you talk about just hitting rock bottom mm-hmm. and what God has done in your life. Uh, there probably are people out there listening right now who are at rock bottom and are yeah. really wrestling. I want to just give you kind of a platform to talk to them as they kind of wrestle. Maybe they somehow just came across this show on the radio and are listening. Yeah. Talk to that person out there who feels like, you know, they're at rock bottom right now. Yeah, I would. um I'd, I'd probably do two things. One, I'd plug to read a few of my articles because I talk mm-hmm. a lot about, I'm always very open about where I where I was and how low I was. I will just say that you are A, never too far away from God. You are never too far away from redemption or mm-hmm. healing. Um, and also just, just ask for help. Sometimes mm-hmm. it might not be God right away. If you're not there yet, ask a friend, ask um, somebody at work, just reach out, just don't be afraid to just ask and just put out that like um, warning sign to somebody. Mm, Um, And then, yeah, don't be afraid to, 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 I don't know if, if it is that you're afraid to talk to God, just talk out loud and Mm -hmm. just, just lift up your, even if it's not a prayer, just, just try pray anyway. That's what I would say. I would say what my mom said to me. It's just like, you don't have to believe you don't have to be in a certain place. Um, and one, I'd say also, I'm, I'm sorry. And I, I get it. I know how hard it can be when you're, um, in that place, but, uh, I'm sort of living proof. And there's so many people who are living proof that healing is possible. Um, and I remember crying myself to sleep for nights for, for months and just waiting for this. And now I I look at my life and I just see that Mm. there is my life before God and there is my life after God. Mm. And it's, it's everything. Well, and your prayer in response to your mom's suggestion, I think, is such a powerful, just simply God help. I just need help. Right. Yeah. If that's what, if that's what you have, start there. Mm-hmm. Just God, if you're there. Yeah. Help. I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing all sure. that with us. Yeah. That was wonderful. Thank you for Michelle, me. thank you so much for coming in mm-hmm. and doing this. It's it's easy to talk about other things, but talk about your own life. That's tough. That's <laughs> yeah. tough. So yeah, we we'll really sure. appreciate please, it. Please keep writing, okay? Yes. I will. <laughs> yes. You've been listening to Michelle Wilkins. Uh, you can find her on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, yeah, but don't. But don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I but haven't been doing don't. very much with my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, she's a very different person on Twitter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> she's Alter a troll ego. on Twitter. Other people. <laughs> um, no. Michelle, we really appreciate you doing this. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. Thanks Absolutely. So for Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hooray! Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. That music can only mean one thing and one thing only. You know what it means? It means you're going to Mexico. It means I'm going to Mexico. I knew it. I knew it. I don't know how I knew it. All right, you told us 40 times. And I will keep doing that. Next week, uh, those of you who listen regularly, I will be gone, but you're going to get to hear uh, Ian tends to bring in really smart and fascinating people when I'm gone. So uh, I'm excited to hear who comes in. Next week will not disappoint. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, I'm excited to hear those as well. But maybe I'll listen to some of them while I'm sitting on the the, uh, beach or by a pool. (laughs) 
having my third Rub steak at the all-inclusive place. Rub it in, man. <laughs> Golly. You can leave now. If you yeah. just, just, just Your lips to God's ears, yeah. man. Yeah. We, um, we should begin every story by saying Brian's going to Mexico. Yes. This was uh, North Carolina. Brian's going to Mexico. <laughs> U.S. town rejects solar farm after residents say it would suck up all the sunlight. Oh gosh. This can't be real. This is great. Oh, gosh. World leaders in Paris may have lauded the future of renewable energy, but in small-town America, all that solar hocus-pocus is still viewed with a healthy dose of slack-jawed cynicism. Jane Mann, a retired science teacher, reported, reportedly told the council meeting she was concerned the panels would prevent photosynthesis and so stop the growth of nearby plants. Wow. The woodland area is popular with solar companies because it has an electri- uh, electrical substation that can be used to connect the electricity to the power grid, the newspaper reported. But complaints to the council only forecast pain, not gain. Bobby Mann, understood to be Mrs. Mann's husband, <laughs> said, that, said other communities had withered after solar farms installed. You're killing your town, he said. All the young people are going to move out. <laughs> I'm just that plain and simple. Oh, that's you not nice. That feels me. mean. That that's feels why mean. I'm plain and nope. simple. As simple as can no, be. No, we didn't choose that. I'd like the distance. Was that, a, was that a John or a Keith? I don't know. That was a John. That was a John. Let me be oh, the first boy. to apologize to Bobby and Jane Mann. So uh, our apologies. Oh, that's that's all on that's all on John. Next one's out of New Zealand. I'm not going there. I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> Stolen Northland therapy goat found reunited with depressed cow. Oh, a pet therapy goat who went missing from a property in Northland in December is now safely back home. Peaches the goat formed an unlikely friendship with a depressed pet cow uh, belonging to the Mongoturato Hotel. Nailed it. The cow named Bunter was left lonely after the death of fellow cow some months earlier. In December, hotel caretaker Joe Robin told Magic Talks Leah Panapa Peaches was introduced to Bunter in an effort to lift the cow's spirit. After Rosie passed away, Bunter got really depressed, and we heard that goats are good therapy, and there was a lady who was willing to give Peaches to us. (laughs) Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Oh, this one is close to where you're going. Arizona. Mm Mm-hmm. Not where you're going, though. You're going where? Mexico. Mexico, that's right. (laughs) Purple haze seen over Arizona caused by lights from marijuana farm. Oh, no. That sounds about right. The light from a medical marijuana farm filled the sky over Snowflake, Arizona. There's a Snowflake, Arizona. That is ironic. With a strange purple glow on a recent foggy morning. Kara Smith took a picture of the scene about 6.30 a.m. Friday on her way to work at Copperstone Farms, the largest medical marijuana wholesaler in the state. She lives about two miles west of the farm and says she can't usually see the lights from her house. The purple lights are always there, but don't usually light up the sky like this, she told CNN. It had snowed that morning. It was still very foggy and cloudy. This is going to be our last show ever. You are this going. Is, you are coming to Mexico with yeah. me. It might be done. Am I invited to your no. 20-year anniversary trip you to Mexico? You are not. But John is going. John and Keith are going hard oh, on a Friday afternoon. Oh, my goodness. Next one's out of Missouri. Not Mexico. Missouri could jail librarians for lending age-inappropriate books. Jail librarians? A Missouri bill intended to bar libraries in the United States from stocking, quote, age-inappropriate sexual material for children has been described by critics as a shockingly transparent attempt 
to legalize book banning oh that could land librarians who refuse to comply with it in jail. Under the Parental Oversight uh, of Public Libraries bill, which has been proposed by the Missouri Republican Ben Baker, panels of parents would be elected to evaluate whether books are appropriate for children. Public hearings would then be held by the boards to ask for suggestions of potentially inappropriate books with public libraries that allow minors to access such titles to have their funding stripped. Librarians who refuse to comply could be fined and imprisoned for up to one year. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that was pretty good. I thought maybe we'd get the librarian from uh, Seinfeld. You are not going to believe what this last one is from. This last story. Flip it over. <laughs> That's good. Out of Mexico. Hey. Why is that significant? Brian leaves today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Tomorrow morning. Oh, my. You leave tomorrow morning. Yep. Hopefully you still can. Mexico City subway says P causes escalator breakdowns. Oh, boy. <laughs> Why do I always get these ones? <laughs> Travelers on the Mexico City subway system often blame authorities for broken down escalators at subway stops. But metro officials have another explanation. Vast amounts of pee. <laughs> Somehow urine is penetrating and corroding the drive wheels oh, and wait. mechanisms of the escalators that carry riders up from underground stations. In a list published Tuesday, the Metro system listed corrosion due to urine as one of the top five causes of escalator breakdowns. Just uh, threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I mean, the takeaway is quit peeing on the escalator. I can't believe that's a thing that anyone would ever have to Apparently, say. How gonna, much is that happening? That, that is, is a public service announcement from the comic. Jeez Louise. Don't do that. Well, have a great week next week, man. I oh. hope all goes well yeah, here. Likewise, have a, have a blast. Don't burn. Wear, I, wear I sunscreen. I do the burn, so I'll be careful. I know it. I'm trying to look out for you. Thank you. You're welcome. That is my partner right there, Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.